This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora. You're listening to the locals on 89.0 Free FM. Kordan Armstrong Toko Engoa. Back in 2019, we spent a lot of time focusing on health and queer issues within the Waikato. That was largely on historic stuff because we've had some amazing advocates from the area. I wanted to bring that conversation into the present and future, so to do that I sat down with today's guest. They bring together a wealth of experience and with their colleagues give support to countless people around our region. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals and this is Slayway and Rainbow Hub Waikato. Can you give me an idea of the queer community in the Waikato? Very good question. I would say, unfortunately, one of the things with the Waikato is because we are such a big region and there is such a massive outspread, um, it's, I guess, really hard to figure out what the size is per se. Um, And I think as well, unlike places that have kind of main hubs like Auckland and Wellington where there are spaces for queer communities to go, like gay bars, etc., which we no longer have here in, in Kirikirido or the Waikato. Um, and so for quite some time there hasn't actually been a space for people to kind of get together. And so apart from, I guess, friendship groups or, you know, people that get together in their own way, there's not necessarily been a a way to connect and figure out who who wants to be part of it. And then I think another factor that feeds into that as well is in rural Waikato, um, especially if we're looking at, you know, some of our smaller towns, um, there will be a lot of queer people, um, but not necessarily openly queer or, like, feel safe enough that they can disclose their sexuality or their gender diversity. Um, in regards to diversity, um, as we know, the Waikato is such a beautiful place. Um, and have met so many amazing humans living here. Um, and I just think it's that beautiful kind of mixture of, uh, like a metropolis that's very like city mixed with that rural. And so I think from that you just see like the culture within the queer community is the most diverse I've ever seen because you have, you know, someone that might be like outwardly camp and queer and colourful. And at the same time, you also have, you know, the farmers and the very kind of like masculine presenting people. And I think it's just a beautiful part of what represents the Waikato and not just the queer community, but the Waikato in general is that it is so diverse. And and here you can kind of do whatever you want to be, what you want to be without having that like big city pressure. Without everyone being able to come together, you know, you've had informal groups. Uh, I'm thinking of the likes of Facebook groups um, or social groups that you mentioned, um, you know, dating apps, Tinder and stuff like that. They're, those are effectively how many in our queer community uh, interact with each other and find out that um, people like us exist. Yeah. What does that online presence look like? Um, I think it doesn't deliver to the needs of the community. I think, once again, if you're from the Waikato or live in the Waikato, you're used to kind of like small community, getting together, connecting in person. Um, and 
I find as well. We're not necessarily behind the times, but we still are those kind of people that would much prefer to do that, per se, than the online environment. Um, you've got those online dating apps like Grinder and Tinder and Scruff and that, which um, I guess work for some people, but they can also be like a very toxic way of communicating with people and it doesn't necessarily empower young queer people to feel great about themselves. So I think, yeah, once again, there is some digital spaces, um, but I think especially now with the state of the world now is when we're really needing to like bring the community together. And, and it's just nice to be able to go like, I want to connect with people and actually have options rather than going, I want to connect with people, but outside of my friendship group. For example, back in the day, you would go to a bar on a Friday night and know it was a, a queer bar or a gay bar and know that you were safe and that was inclusive. And you'd meet people and you might, you know, meet the person of your dreams and end up dating or you might just meet some really fun people on the dance floor and end up building lifelong friendships, which is exactly what I did. So not having that, you know, you have the option to go to other bars but for myself and a lot of queer people, you don't feel as safe. It's a lot harder to kind of be comfortable and be 100% who you are in those spaces. And as well, because it's not all queer people, you don't really know who's who or what their background is and, and what their belief systems are. So you're like, can I talk to that person? Will they think I'm, you know, I suppose, will they treat me with respect or am I putting myself in a dangerous situation where they might have some undertones of homophobia, you never know. And so having having spaces within the community where queer people know that they can meet up with other queer people who identify differently, whether that's gender or sexually, it's it's really important because of that, that safety, that inclusivity, and just knowing that, like, okay, cool, this is good. And I just don't think that online that works. And a huge part of that as well is because we forget that there's, it creates accessibility issues. Um, like we, we're trying to figure out how to, I guess, move forward through it. But, you know, during COVID, like you might have a young queer person who wants to connect, but they might live at home with, say, four siblings and there's only one device to share and they may not have come out to their family. So they can't go onto those apps or go onto different places to communicate. And so that means that they're isolated. So once again, I think, having spaces where queer people can come together and be safe is so important. As a queer person from Thames, as a queer person from Te Aumotu, um, while there's a lot more acceptance for us, there is still stigma and concern and, frankly, fear. Um, what are the concerns that young queer people are raising with you and the team so I think kind of the first point is once again, um, one of the issues which I think not just our, our space but most organisations face is they're Hamilton based and they are supposed to be serving the Waikato but the Waikato is such a big region and there's not so much an outreach um, and so a lot of those young people don't even know that there are other people like them which instantly isolates them I guess. Um, when we do talk to young people, I think, once again, a lot of the issues they've had is when they've started to realise that they, they are different or they feel different, is not seeing anyone around them that reminds them of them or represents them or having those connections. And so they don't really know where to go and understand things. And that's where they might via go to digital spaces. And as a young person, um, especially, you know, someone that's under the age of 18, for example, um, 
those sites can be risky and it's easy for them to kind of connect with someone. And once again, what you see online isn't necessarily what you get in person. Um, and so I think for, for young people in the Waikato, it's really making sure that going forward, that there is an outreach to all of those smaller communities like Te Aumutu, like Thames. Um, we have a, when we're not in lockdown, we actually have um, every fortnight uh, what we call Where's Wacky. Um, and so we go to Te Aumutu, um, and we have a, face, a private Facebook group. And so young queer people that live there that can't get to Hamilton meet up with them at a cafe and just have some yarns, play some games. And so we're hoping that we can expand that to heaps of different areas. And that way it's not you come to us, it's actually, no, it's our job as people that serve the community to come to you. So I think moving forward, um, we're going to see a lot of change in the next few years where there'll be less expectation on these young people to come and more of us actually doing that outreach, which I think is super important. I know for myself, I first came to a Waikato queer youth, youth group when I was a teenager, but that was, I was living in Thames. I had a queer teacher that brought me and two other students over in her own time with her own petrol money after school, had to, you know, drive an hour and a half to get here. And if it wasn't for that inclusive teacher who was really like, I want you guys to see that, like, I know the rest of the school is picking on you and all of these horrible things are happening, but to bring us to that space and see that like there were so many other people like us, that was so empowering. So that's what I want to see for that our current and future generations. Yeah. Uh, and what has been the feedback? Um, it's been really good because it's interesting. Some of the young people that go to that will still come along on a Monday to our youth group that we run in Hamilton, but they're like, we want as much as we can get. Um, but, you know, for some people, we forget that not everyone has the means, like the transport or the finance opportunities to be able to get here and all of those different things. And once again, we forget that, you know, if we're sitting in a position of privilege where we have a job and we're an adult and we are in a safe space where we can be 100% ourselves, young people don't have that yet. They may not have jobs, they may not have accepting families. And so being able to go to them where it's like, oh, I'm just popping out down the road, they don't actually have to disclose and we make sure that they know what they're coming to, but that if someone was to walk past from the community, there's not a giant rainbow flag flying so that they can also have that, that safety um, and I guess that privacy in a way, that anonymity, so that they're not like, hey, you know, because once again, as you would know, growing up in a small community, everyone knows everyone and everyone seems to think that everyone's business is everyone's business. And so <laughs> as soon as you do something... Everyone knows about it within 24 hours. And so it's like it's really important that we actually protect those young people, but at the same time empower them and give them that strength that when they're ready, they have all the tools that they need, but also know that they've got us as a backup support system, as a, I guess, extended version of their whanau, um, because so many queer young people that we deal with and one of the biggest issues we face is, you know, getting kicked out or having you know family members that are homophobic or transphobic and it's still to this day blows my mind that people are like that um and so sometimes their queer family is their only family and so it's really important that we keep to keep doing what we're doing but extending it further and further so that as soon as someone starts to feel a little bit different it's really easy to find out who we are what we do and connect with other queer people within their community 
And I think that brings us perfectly into the hub. Um, it's been a pretty eventful year or two, um, obviously paused in large parts by Delta and COVID. Um, but can you give us a bit of an idea of how you've become the Rainbow Hub? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we're known as Waikato Queer Youth, um, or Wacky for short, uh, and that was established back in 2005. And over the last few years, it was once again more and more noticed that there wasn't a space for everyone. And when you have a name like Youth uh, in your name, we were only catering to youth services. And so what we started to find out that was a real want and a need from the community for everyone to be catered to, which I think is so important with queer communities because we already face so many barriers. It's like, and then you can't come along if you're over this age. And so basically the transition to becoming Rainbow Hub Waikato is so that we could expand into adult services and start working with and creating programs and social support groups and advocacy for everyone in the community. Um, and yeah, that was the that was the feedback that that we got. Um, and then with the organisation, we've got an amazing person um, by the name of Bex who is in a role of community connector. So they are currently working with the community to find out their wants, their needs and basically what they want to see from Rainbow Hub Waikato because our thing is we don't want it to just be the few of us that work here designing this, we want it to be designed by community for community um, and so the exciting thing is up until now we've moved into our new space a couple of months ago we had a very small space with in a shared building with one office where we could only have groups on a Monday because the rest of the week the other organisations had things on. At the Zeal building? Yes yeah. um, and it was amazing and there was such a supportive crew but I think with our expansion this just naturally came and so now we've got this beautiful space where we've got I think it's seven breakaway rooms in our own space and it's just it's amazing and like watching it all kind of come together is, is, is really moving, empowering and also emotional just from that like we can see where it's going and because of especially Delta this time around like we moved in and we were starting to do work in bees and get set up and then it was like boom you aren't allowed in the space hence why we look like a little bit of a construction site but at the same time I think everyone gets it and everyone understands and so they know that when we're ready, amazing things are going to happen. And so going forward, I guess once our space is set up, we're really looking forward to being able to offer a whole lot of different kind of social support groups, um, some stuff that's 18 plus as well. So that, for example, like I know myself, I would not want to go to the same group as a 14 year old because I would feel uh, like I'd have to censor myself and, you know, yeah, what are you what you're experiencing is a world away from them, exactly. and they might they may not feel safe um, with us adults around. Absolutely. So we're wanting to make sure that we have a space for for adults as well. And I think the really difference with Rainbow Hub Waikato is, as we've spoken about, all the previous kind of community spaces that we can get together have been bars, and so there's that attachment to drugs and alcohol. And so for us, it's really awesome that we're able to create the space where people will be able to come along to an alcohol and drug-free space as well, so that once again, you're not 
left out because you either don't drink or you've had drug and alcohol issues and you're you know a recovering addict, whatever it might be. <clears throat> Once again, by having that removed, it makes us such a safe and inclusive space, and that's what we want it to be, somewhere that everyone can access, whether they are from the queer community or even people that are allies, so supportive, friends, family, etc. So I think in the next 12 months, we're going to see some really beautiful, amazing things happen. Wonderful. Um, I'd like to zoom out now and look at the national picture. One thought I had uh, late last night was even though the queer community is more accepted and I suppose perceived to be more acceptable within society today, um, there there are still still huge pieces of, of stigma and, and ignorance. And the thing that made me sort of come to that thought was the fact that when we came to um, the conversion therapy ban, the debate was not about the, the safety and the security of, of particularly young queer people, but of, um, of churches, of parents. How, how do we keep um, the, the, the straight, powerful people safe, as safe as possible, even though it wasn't about them? Am I right to think that, or am I just a cynical old rural queer? <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, as a stars, as a queer person, you're really invested in this, and as an organisation, we did a lot of work to uh, support people putting in submissions to our own submission and to, and to really have, get people aware of what was going on. Um, and just the, the discussions around it were horrific. And once again, you hit the nail on the head. It wasn't about protecting queer people. It was about empowering, like, how would you put it? Basically, people that have these far kind of like left views around wanting to have conversion here, like therapy yeah. going but forward. Protecting the perpetrators. Trying to defend it and keep yeah. it going. And it's just, like, that to me is a mindset that should have been forgotten a hundred years ago. And the fact that we're actually even having to have this conversation now is horrific. Like, it is mind-blowing that, that there even has to be, you know, us putting in submissions to ban it. It really frustrates me that the government can't look at certain things like this and be like, this is horrific. Yeah, it's a human rights thing. We'll deal with it right now. Yeah. And I think that's what people forget is I think what happened is once once we kind of got civil union, everyone was like, oh, yeah, you've got heaps of rights. And it's like, no, there's a long way to go. And then we got marriage equality and everyone was like, and after that, there was this really strong narrative around like, why do you still have pride? Why do you need this? And I was like, we might be able to get married, but we still have so many other battles that we are facing so that if you are queer or you are sexually or gender diverse, you have the same rights to everyone else. And, you know, looking at conversion therapy and hearing people's stories that have gone through it, it's horrific. And the fact that there's people out there that still actually think that conversion therapy should be able to be carried out is, like, to me, that's insanity. And I'm able to actually... I, I've got to a stage now where I can take a step out of being part of the community, if that makes sense in my head, and look at something from a go. If I remove my personal feelings and in my belief systems, how does this look? And even when I do that, even if I was a straight, cisgender, 
white male with privilege, I still don't see how I could convince myself that conversion therapy should still be legal. So it's it's mind-blowing, and I think what people are seeing with it is this is exactly why we still have to fight so hard, and we shouldn't have to. And I think what it does is it exhausts the people who are out there within the queer community fighting for our rights um, because we're under-resourced and having to do all of this work and people forget we are a small minority we are a small you know group of people that are having to battle places that are like trying to still have control over us being our true authentic selves and still thinking that being gay or being transgender is a choice and it's just like there's scientific evidence now that none of it is a choice. And I also always say to people, I'm like, if you think about it from this perspective, when I was growing up, I did everything I could to try and be straight. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I've got to force myself, like, I'll get married and have kids and have the white picket fence and all of that sort of stuff. I'm like, what? And because I was, you know, a teenager quite a few years back, I said to people, like, why would I choose to be something where everyone is going to treat me differently and bully me and all of that sort of stuff? And I'm like, and this, and then that leads to the higher mental health issues within the queer community, the higher suicide rates, all of that. And so I think it all just ties in together and it's, yeah, so I can completely see your thought pattern and it's just, I'm like, trying my hardest not to swear too much. Oh, um, you can, I'll bleep it if nothing else. But yeah, it's just, <laughs> It, the best way to put it is it, it blows my mind that we're still having to fight for these things to go away or we're still having to fight for equal rights um, but hopefully and I think now we've got some amazing people in government who are either from the queer community or support the queer community um, specifically there are some amazing people within Labour like Tommy Coffey um, you look at uh, for example the Green Party with you know Chloe, um, and then you've got like Dr. Elizabeth Kitty Kitty, like there's just so many people that are on our team, which is really awesome because it's making it feel, we're starting to see representation in places like Parliament, which has never been something in the past. Well, there's been queer people, but they've passed themselves off as straight because they were told not to come out as a politician. So we're moving forward. It's just, it feels like you've, you're, you're knee deep in mud and we need to get that freedom to just run forward. What would you say to someone looking at these these issues? They're starting to feel uncomfortable. They, they may not have the language for it because if they grew up in a community where there isn't any sort of comms or education around it, um, something, something's different and it's a bit scary. What would you be saying to them? I think just from a conversational point of view, we always invite people along to, you know, our groups and that, and we always just say, start off with questioning. Like, don't put yourself in a box, don't put yourself in a label. Um, for example, we've tended to, to move away from the LGBT acronym because it's, A, it's changed so many times, B, in different countries, differently to stand for different things, and it's confusing. And once again, it's a community that doesn't fit in boxes and then being like, oh, which letter are you? Where do you fit? And so we always just say to young people, like, just 
just go with questioning. You're figuring yourself out and you might identify as something at a certain point when you're younger and that might change as you get older and it does for everyone. I know I've gone through many different stages and just just letting them know that they don't have to instantly identify or put themselves in a box and that it's okay to have mixed feelings and mixed emotions. That's part of growing up. That's part of figuring ourselves out. We still go through it at our ages, you know, like as as you go through life, certain situations will happen and, and you grow and you kind of figure yourself out as you go. And I think another really important part is actually sharing a history of what has happened because they might look at, for example, at the moment with you know, there's been the conversion therapy um, going on and then also the um, birth steps and marriages bill. So it seems like it's, it's another time where to them it might be like, oh, we've got, you know, we've got so far to go, we don't have any rights. And I think actually showing them the history of like, well, 40 years ago, you know, people getting thrown in jail for being gay and it was illegal and, and you know, civil union didn't exist and we weren't allowed to get married and all of this sort of stuff kind of showing them what's happened over the last kind of 40 years to show them like, it's been slow progress, but there has been progress and that's been because of amazing queer trailblazers and then to then be like, you know, there's this current generation who are working to make the changes at the moment and then their generation will have battles and they'll have things that they have to fight for. But if we empower them and show them that history and empower them to be themselves, that's, that's where I think that pride comes from. Because it's not, I find for me, pride is not necessarily about, you know, being proud about, um, what's the words I'm looking for? I think that that pride comes from, as a community, the work that we do to make change and to be those trailblazers. And that's what, what pride means to me. And so showing that to young people and also showing them that, you know, they're, when they get to our age and that you can be an adult and be part of the queer community and life can be amazing and great and it's so much different once you get through the kind of hard years and, and, and get to figure out who you are and then get to completely like love your true authentic self, when they can see representation of that once again, like it, it lets them know that when they have those bad days or those tough times or they don't know who to talk to, that there is, there is a future and it's a bright, beautiful future. Is it also a pride of survival after decades of oppression and just r really heinous acts against our, our I suppose, our, our sexual ancestors? Yeah. Um, we survive. In hundreds of years, we're still going to be here in one form or another. Absolutely. And I think for me it's... Um, it's also teaching people that survival isn't the option. We want to move from surviving to thriving, you know? We don't want to keep fighting. And so we can keep doing the work and we can keep fighting so that in that hundred years' time, there is that equality. Yeah. And, like, yes, it probably will take that long, if not longer, but if, if we don't, if everyone gives up, we never get anywhere. And it is exhausting and it is emotional and, and, and it does have its strain on everyone. But once again, it's, it's you know, being like, hey, let's keep pushing forward, moving together so that we can move on from that surviving. But it is, it's that pride of being like, look at all of the stuff that's happened in our history. Look at how much people have told us that our existence doesn't matter and, and that we're not valid and we shouldn't be who we are. And now being like, we're still here, so... Sorry about it. <laughs> Thanks, Slay. Not just for what you do, but frankly, having a really cool name too. 
And a big thank you to the broader team and those advocates that have got us to the point where we are now. If you want to learn more about the Hub, they're on Facebook and Instagram, Rainbow Hub Waikato. And additionally, another great service locally is Sexual Health Hamilton. They're fantastic and their phone number is 07 That wraps up another episode. We'll be back next Monday. But until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Haerera. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.